Genre. Welcome back to the Cornetto Minute, the daily podcast where we review and reanimate the Zom Rom-Com Shaun of the Dead one minute at a time. I'm Scott Corelli. And I'm Nick Jimenez, senior staff member. And today we'll be taking a bite out of minute one of Shaun of the Dead, which begins with uh, Don breaking over the Universal logo and ends with Shaun raising a cigarette to his mouth. I got a lot of nostalgia for this, uh, this generation of the universal logo. Uh, by the way, literally just, just, just coming into my head right now, did we mean to do, I never even thought about doing two universal franchises in a row or universal movies in a row. Yeah, no, I, 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 I thought of that as well. Like when we were doing the notes here, um, cause I, I was like, oh wow, we're like staying on brand. That's, that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess so. For those of you who don't who do, who who might not know if if you Right, that was uh, an inside baseball. Yeah, 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 yeah. For those of you who don't know if you if you are just uh joining us for uh for for Cornetto minute. Nick and I were also the host of Back to the Future minute, uh another universal uh franchise. So yeah, we're uh, you know, staying in the universal family apparently. Did you ever see that YouTube video where it was um like what planet Earth sees whenever the universal logo like comes up <laughs> no <laughs> it's like it's it's like uh, it's like a family playing and then you hear like a vi- you feel like a vibration <laughs> and then it's just like you can kind of make out that it's the universal music but it just sounds like like <laughs> like inception music yeah yeah and like just that's children are like running to their parent it was it was, it was <laughs> that's, I, wish I, could. I have to look that up that's incredible um yeah, maybe we'll get that credit. posted on the uh the Cornetto Minute Listeners Pub on Facebook. Yeah. So this this particular um, Universal logo, this is actually the 1997 to 2012 logo. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was the first CGI Universal logo. Oh, interesting. Not not done with like any kind of photography or... Right. Right. First do you, uh, fully CG one. Do you have like a gut um, like movie that that... that iteration of the logo makes you think of because for me it's the lost world interesting i think to me i think for me for whatever reason it's liar liar yeah 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 it really is just whatever tape you had yeah like i i watched liar liar a lot growing up um Mm -hmm. and and like more than any human should have done um but i i i i think I think this logo starts that movie, um, which I believe was even released in '97, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, so, so it would have been an early one. one with this uh, with this Don Breaking logo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Um, and then we have. Uh, so I I was always I'm not I'm actually still not a hundred percent. But it ha- is is working has working title produced the lion's share of, of well, the rights. 
Uh, well, before we get to working title. Oh, um, okay. You, you, you want you want to start with Studio Canal? Yeah, yeah. We get Studio Canal. Yeah, um, please. Let's do it. Yeah, so Studio Canal is a uh, French company who um, started off as a studio or, or Canal Plus, which is a um, like a like a European HBO, basically. Yeah, I just saw a Canal Plus movie the other day. Oh, it was it was like yeah, it was an old HBO movie from the from like the nineties. Oh, um, yeah, even. yeah. So they were uh, they were like an HBO at first, like a pay TV, like premium television kind of thing. Prestige, prestige, program. right? Yeah, uh, and then they went on to um, you know create a sort of spinoff company of uh, Studio Canal uh, in the late eighties. And then, you know, they started off being sort of like a like a TV movie kind of thing. Um, right. Production company. And then they moved on. They started uh, they started financing um, actual films. And at first they they uh, they financed uh, for or, or I guess domestic films because they're a French company. Um, mm-hmm. And then they they started taking on uh, American stuff. The first American film that they financed um, and produced was uh, actually Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and they've been behind, like, they've been behind films that I I had no idea that they would have been a part of. Uh, so, sure, like m- much more commercial or like yeah. genre. Yeah. Yeah, like Terminator 2 was the first one. Uh, JFK, um, Under Siege, uh Made in America, Free Willy, Stargate. Oh wow, yeah, yeah. Uh, and then and then more like obvious stuff like like Notting Hill and Billy Elliot. Uh, right, yeah. But uh, yeah, I I just think that's really that's really interesting that you know they're like all over the map and every every uh, decade it they 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 like triple their output. Um, so oh, okay, yeah. It's it's uh it's pretty crazy. So they've they've grown tremendously, and they're they're mostly a um uh kind of like a a financing company, and they do do some distribution in um uh the UK, but like as far as like UK and and Europe, but as far as mm-hmm. uh, actually producing stuff, um they they you know they finance films all over the place, um. So that's uh that's Studio Canal. Um now to go back to your your question about working title, uh I do believe that working title has done all of Edgar Wright's films. Okay. Um I'm I'm fairly certain. Uh yes, they did do Baby Driver. So yeah, I they've done everything. You know, I, I remember bringing this up. I can't remember if it was during the 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 Baby Driver review or an episode of this program. We did an episode of ba- we did a Baby Driver review for the Patreon mm-hmm. uh, donors. So there's mm-hmm. that, guys. But uh, I, I mentioned that one of the cool things about Edgar Wright, who who definitely has a, has a career that you could uh, that that fits very neatly inside of like the the auteur theory, he lacks or chooses to omit a lot of the more ego driven aspects of being an author. Uh, you know, I, 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 one of those things is like, I really think it's interesting that he doesn't have a troublemaker studios or a band mm-hmm. apart or uh view askew 
Um, well, he doesn't, but uh, he also doesn't produce his own films. Yeah, yeah. Um, so so uh, there is a production company that he does associate himself exclusively with, but we'll mm-hmm. we'll get to that um in a later uh minute when the later time this comes. week. Yeah, when it's yeah, um because they don't that that uh that company does not have a credit um in these uh, early uh this this like opening section. Um, sure. but, uh, but working title, um, actually, uh, the, they did miss one of his films, so they did not have anything to do with Scott Pilgrim. That um, seems to, yeah, that would have been my guess. That seems right. to be the outlier. Right. Uh, they but did, that but, is but, but they did do Paul. So. <laughs> oh, fun. Yeah. Yeah. So there's, I, you know, which, which is, you know, not Edgar Wright, but, uh, is, uh, uh, you know, N- Nick and, uh, Simon. So. Did Nira Park produce Paul? Yes. Okay. Yeah, cool. There's also that. Um, but uh but yeah, working title, uh working title and Studio Canal both are um owned by Vivendi Universal. So they, they are both associated with Universal Pictures. Um Okay. But that's that came later. Uh you can see the when you're looking at their filmographies, you can see the point where they were purchased by Universal because suddenly there's no other studio associated with their films. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um it's like Universal and Focus Features, which is a uh Universal uh it's their indie brand Focus mm-hmm. Features is. Um but I remember uh, Focus Focus Features really when I see that logo, I get mad like two thousands nostalgia. Like it makes me think of Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice. Mm, yeah, it makes me think of um it always makes me think of uh Eternal Sunshine. Oh, yeah, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And you know, the, and, and just taking a cursory glance through uh through working titles filmography, you know, once again, it's it's nothing to sneeze at at all. Oh, yeah, no, it's super impressive. Uh I mean, they they kind of like got on the map with uh Barton Fink. Um uh, but before mm-hmm. that, they did do like Drop Dead Fred, which is, uh, you know, kind of a cult cult movie. Yeah. It's uh, in the, you know, people who love movies seem to love Drop Dead Fred. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then there's, you know, like Four Weddings and a Funeral and uh, mm-hmm. Fargo. Uh, pretty Big much, Lebowski. pretty much most, most Coen brother movies from actually just, just in general seem to be involved in some capacity with working title. Yeah. Prior to, um, it looks like the last one they might have had something to do with was the man who wasn't there. Looks like. That oh no! Appar- apparently they they did. Uh, according to in, in Wikipedia, uh, it seems there's, like they 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 were involved oh, with Hail Caesar. A, oh oh yeah, and there's a serious man. So there there, but there was a big uh, there was a big jump between. Um, it looks like the man who wasn't there and a serious man, everything in, in between there, it doesn't look like they had anything to do with, um, mm-hmm. but, uh, a Wimbledon, uh, or I'm sorry, burn, burn after reading, not a serious man. Um, okay. but yeah, there's like a big, there's a big gap of like 10 years where they didn't mm-hmm. do anything with them. Um, yeah. Yeah. But the, the, there's a lot of my favorite movies are in this. Um, oh yeah. And, and then also so, Grimsby and, and, uh, and also Grimsby. Um, yeah, they're only, they're yeah. only 17 title after baby driver is, uh, Victoria and Abdul, mm-hmm. but, uh, which I follow them on, um, I follow them on Instagram and all I see is just pictures from that movie right now. Uh, yeah. 
when earlier this year it was like nothing but baby driver pictures. So my mangoes I guess that's aren't what they the do. way I'd like them to be. <laughs> I bet we're not going to talk very much about colonialism in this, are we? <laughs> Um, but the, the thing that's interesting about, uh, working title in this yes. particular capacity. So there's, there's two things that I find interesting about working title. One that, uh, they seem to have a deal with universal where universal sort of intrinsically trusts them and has given them a contract that allows them to make literally any film they want. As long as the budget is under $35 million. Yeah, which is the just the dream for so many filmmakers. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's that's that's pretty crazy, but it does explain a lot about their filmography. It's like, oh yeah, I yep. Mm-hmm. Oh that's, yeah, I mean th- that's how these things get made. <laughs> and, and even the, right and there. even their failure and quote fa- like financial underperformers, you know, like like Rush didn't break the bank but i i i think it's one of the bright spots on on everyone involved with that movie's like filmography mm-hmm. uh which was a working title production yeah um and then it's it's also uh important to point out that shot of the dead specifically is actually um a wt2 production which is their uh their uh, under 10 million um, budgeted, uh, like independent film oh, branch. Okay. Um, so, uh, Shaun of the Dead has a, had a budget of 6.1 million. Um, and, uh, and so that made it a, a WT2 production rather than a proper working title production. But I don't think, I don't think WT2 has its own title card. So they just gave it, or at least they it didn't yet. Um, and so they just gave it the working title, uh, title card instead. Sure. But, uh, there you go. Um, this is the business folks. This is is how the sausage gets made. It's very, I don't know. All that stuff is really interesting. It's probably really boring to everyone listening to this. Like, oh my God, are we really just going to talk about the, the (laughs) but Um, it is, you know, like it, it, it's super easy to, you know, forget that, every aspect of of making a movie or putting out a movie has like dozens and hundreds of people behind mm-hmm. it, you know? yeah and and so it, it it i think people who love movies i think trust that working title logo when they sit down at a movie because it kind of the same way that like i'll i'll i'll, I'll you know if it's if it's got an annapurna logo or like an a24 logo right now like it's it's like having a record label you know it's like kill rock stars right uh but those are people. Those are people that grew up watching movies. And rather than, you know, being like, oh, I want to be a writer director. It's like, well, maybe I want to be involved with like finding them or helping them happen. Right. Absolutely. And and that's uh, I mean, that's the real hero's work, because unless you're like a handful of studio heads that um, try to sort of brand themselves and, and make themselves seem really important it's usually like um i mean those are just like the nameless heroes of the movie <laughs> industry or just like these people that gather this money to make a piece of art happen you know mm-hmm. that maybe isn't you know that by 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 necessity is kind of off the beaten path and not 100 percent a sure thing yeah 
And I just, I find it interesting how all of this stuff comes together, you know, like how movie financing happens, because the idea of getting $6 million together just sounds insane to me. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it, it, it seems to happen, you know, if you don't look into it, it seems like it happens really easily in movies. And it's nice to know that it's, it's not easy for movies either. It just seems like it is. You know? Yeah, and, and it, it always seems like this side of it is the the side that, you know, the guys that comment on, like, Honest Trailer videos with authority into the film industry, like, they just don't think about. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they air to that kind of shroudy conspiracy of, like, oh, you know, well, there's black people in Star Wars because they need to be politically correct. And they, the idea that people have to sit in a room and decide when a movie comes out in what cities and like, you know, just there's so much, it sounds boring, but I I guess, yeah, yeah. If you love it, 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 it's, it's like Lisa Simpson at a stamp museum or something, you know, like she's, (laughs) you, you find every aspect of it interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I guess I should say like if Lisa Simpson was like at a jazz museum. Oh yeah, sure. Okay. Wonder, I wonder when the last time was in The Simpsons that Lisa played her saxophone. I can't. I. I mean, I. I can't speak with authority anymore. I have now gone as many years of my life not watching every episode of The Simpsons as I have watching every episode of The Simpsons. Yeah. I need to. I really need to go break into like the two thousand stuff. Yeah. I mean, maybe. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Any, so, a, do a, your thing, but yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, um, it would be. It, I will say, um, not to go completely off track into the Simpsons tangent, but like, it would be nice to hear that uh, the Simpsons like have like another era that people like aren't talking about, or like another like really great era of the Simpsons. Yeah, um, you know, I really I cool. watched and I watched a new one like this year. And I remember it being good. I would, yeah. I mean, there's a really good Simpsons podcast right now uh, called Everything's Coming Up Simpsons that I really like. But even they, I think, stick to like the OG episodes. Right. Right. So uh, fans of The Simpsons, let us know. (laughs) Right. Um, So, uh, okay. So then we get, we go to a, we, we go to a black screen the music builds. We get this. Uh, it's it's cool how the sort of creepy, sort of um, you know, seventies, eighties, like zombie. Yeah, music. and i I really did my I really did my best to try and figure out and look up what each of those noises are. But I, 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 I well, the 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 original. I think the original bit is actually. Um, music from a zombie film that they're uh sort of like repurposing um i i think it's um oh i i oh man i forget what the name of the movie is but it's it's i i i am like 95% sure it's it's repurposed music from another uh like an obscure zombie film um okay i i feel like i remember hearing that or seeing it on the soundtrack or Something like that. Um, but uh, th- it does transition, though, into the the opening riffs of uh, what song? 
Oh, right. Yeah. So uh, the song that we hear after the uh, zombie noises is uh, actually called Ghost Town by The Specials, uh, released on June 12th, 1981. And uh, Scott and, and listeners, there's actually a lot more to Edgar Wright's placement of this song than would immediately meet the eye, not to get all room 237 about it. But um, the song Ghost Town is actually, uh, it's a reggae song mm-hmm. that uh, became uh, kind of a, a, a big hit in the UK at the time uh, for addressing themes of urban decay, deindustrialization, unemployment, and the violence that was going on in inter- inner cities at the time. Oh. So it's it's very much a song about a lot of the uh, issues that are at the fringe of Shaun of the Dead, which is, you know, sort of what is London now in, in the early 2000s. It, it, it kind of seems to be speaking to that same sense of paranoia and dread in the future that uh, the specials were singing about in Ghost Town. Hmm. Interesting. I have a question. Do you, do you, this is not the la- it is the first but it is not the last reggae song to uh, earnestly make its way into an Edgar Wright movie. Mm-hmm. And I guess what I'm curious about is, do you think the UK has a different relationship with reggae than the US does? Or do you think it's just Edgar Wright? Um, no, I think the UK actually does have a different relationship with uh, reggae. Because when you think about um, uh, like... UK um like hip hop music it it always sounds more um reggae influenced more like blah yeah yeah so still having that yeah yeah so i i think i think it it just like evolved from reggae as opposed to like where it evolved in america you know which is more like blues right um so so the uh the 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 opening riffs is actually um it's from the band the rock band goblin uh, oh, who, yes. who did the music for films like Suspiria and uh, things mm-hmm. like that. They did a lot of uh, music scores and Dawn of the Dead, of course. Yeah. Uh, Suspiria, a very uh, mm. uh, a favorite of Edgar Wright. Yeah. So, so uh, I don't, I don't know that it's, I, I'm not sure if it's uh, technically repurposed as, so much as it's um, sort of like, oh, they use Goblin. So let's use Goblin, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's super subtle. It's not, it's not like masturbatory to me, or you know, like look at look at how much I know. Like it feels very subtle, and it, and it, it's more about mood than than right. name checking. You right, know? right, absolutely. Um, and then uh, so the 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 music sort of builds like as we're hearing like the um the sort of uh, sound effects from the uh, the game that um that uh, ed is playing uh mm-hmm. though we don't know that he's playing yet um but we we hear the the sort of like that with the crescendo of the music building to the to the song that you were talking about um and uh the ghost reggae town. song um ghost town ghost town <clears throat> goes down by the specials and then we get uh just this opening shot of just sean's face Okay, random thought. Are you? I got a major BoJack Horseman vibe from this shot. Oh, interesting. Yeah, no, I could see that. Just the way his eyes are staring off in this, it literally it looks like a frame from like the BoJack Horseman 
Bojack Oseman, Bojack Horseman opening. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. I could totally see that. I wonder if the Bojack Horseman opening is somewhat inspired by the opening of Shaun of the Dead. Yeah, that would be an interesting Seems like uh, Raphael, what's his name? Uh, the creator of yes. Bojack would be... Um, mm-hmm. Uh, this seems like this movie would absolutely be in his wheelhouse. Yeah. I listened to a podcast with, I think it might've been a Nerdist writers panel, but I was like, oh, he's a super, I mean, clearly, but yeah, he seems like a super interesting guy. Oh yeah. Uh, yesterday, Scott and I were talking about off mic about the importance or sometimes lack of importance of, uh, the first sentence in a book or a Mm -hmm. story. And this shot. It, it just has, it, it's so simple, but it's so, there's so much authority in it and so much confidence in it mm-hmm. that it really does feel like a, like a statement. Mm-hmm. And I think definitely like you, you, you can go to the movies and buy a ticket for kind of, again, not to be disparaging, but you know, like studio product and you know, the first shot is like exterior Boston, you know, right. Or like the leaves are, are rolling down the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. It, it, and I, this, even though it's a guy drinking a beer and, and taking a smoke, there is just so much composition already. And, and yeah. Peg is acting even in this. Yeah. I mean, I, ironically, I think that a lot of like what you're talking about comes from uh, TV directors who transition to film. Uh, mm-hmm. They tend to keep doing what they did on TV, which is like establishing shot. And then we cut inside the establishing shot. Um, Marvel movies do that a lot, like a lot, right? Yeah, and and which is you know television directing is is such a skill unto its own and such a beast unto its own. But mm-hmm. yeah, you 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 do see a lot of yeah, like like I'll, I'll I'll go see a movie and I'm like, oh yeah, this dude directed some really good episodes of TV that I like, and it's usually a dude. And then it it's just so flavorless, mm-hmm. and you're like, man, what happened? You know. Right. And it's because they're really good at continuing someone's vision, but they're not they're not always the best at having a vision of their own, you know? Yeah, generating the ideas. Yeah, they're good at execution and not so much at like creation. Um mm-hmm. but like, you know, and and I say ironically because obviously Edgar Wright came from television, though he did do a film first uh with uh, Fistful of Fingers. <laughs> yeah, such a weird yeah, it. I love. It. I love that. It, I love how little it follows. Like the it does. It does have that narrative and broad strokes of like he started young in TV and then he graduated to features. But like, there's such strange details in that story. Absolutely, yeah. Um, I also, the other thing yeah. that this opening shot makes me think of um, is uh, the introduction of Scott Lang in Ant Man. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. Which is a close up of his face and him saying, you know, like, okay, come on, let's do this. And then he gets punched in the face um, mm-hmm. from off camera. Oh, I, had go, I had to and, go back and watch that. And I imagine that uh, that was probably in Edgar Wright's, uh, Edgar Wright and Joe Cornish's original uh, draft of the version he was going to direct because it it feels correct and that's probably how that movie was going to start because the the way that the movie the finished movie begins is with the stuff that Edgar Wright had no interest in which right, was right like yeah the the Peggy stuff the right, shield the, stuff right the yeah the shield stuff right um the flashbacks to like you know classic 
whatever, 1990 yeah. or 1985. Sort of where showing where Hank Pym's history with the, the Marvel Universe is. Right, right. And then after the after that cold open, it goes to the Marvel logo and then it cuts to Paul Rudd's face, just like this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would venture a guess that that's how his Ant-Man script began. Yeah. Cuz he yeah. he does he does Edgar Wright as a as a as a creator. He does repeat he has visual motifs that he sort of repeats a lot. Mm-hmm. Um because like he finds like another shot. angle on it or something, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Um but uh I, yeah, that's what this yeah. remind, made me remind me of. Yeah. I, I but yeah, but just speaking from the the context of just his filmography, I I do really like that the first shot of this movie is a pub mm-hmm. and not just any pub. <laughs> yeah. The Winchester. Yeah. It's, Winchester. it's, it's cool. It, 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 it really is deceptively. A, it's deceptively strong as mm-hmm. an opening shot. This, uh, the, the sound of the, uh, last call nautical bell, um, mm-hmm. that, yeah. uh, that pubs have, um, I, it is so, sort of pavlovian for me oh Um, really yeah no i hear that and i just i just get like this feeling of like oh i'm about to watch Shaun of the dead like i just oh cool it just very it just makes me it just sort of like lulls me into this comfortable place of like oh you're about to watch something you really love you You know know, what that what, what that made me remind what that reminded me of uh the opening sounds of uh, of Robert Altman's Popeye movie oh. are very much like, oh my god, I feel like I'm back in, like in my childhood. Yeah, because that's a very that that movie opens like a hug. Mm-hmm. That's very true. Uh, the first line of the of this movie is uh, "Last Call, Please." Um, yeah, by yeah. shouted by uh, a man that we never hear speak again. I don't think. I mean, we. I think we get a line at the end of this scene. Uh, mm-hmm. From him as like a bookend, but then we don't really hear from him ever again because the next time we see him, uh, he's dead. So, <laughs> do you? Do, do, um, this is I'm already behind, I guess. But like, does the bartender is the bartender given a name? John. His name is John, and his wife's name is Bernie. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. Um. But uh, yeah, we don't. Uh, we don't. We don't hear from him. Um again until uh you know we get we get a, like a little bookend moment at the end of the scene but then but then um we uh we, i don't think we hear any dialogue from him the rest of the movie i don't mm-hmm. think um we have uh i mean you know ed talks about him later but i don't think we hear anything from him in particular so it, yeah he's a character that is spoken about but rarely speaks right right um, but I do, uh, so his, the first line of the movie is spoken by John, uh, the bartender, or I guess owner of the Winchester, uh, and it's last call, please. Um, which I, I really like as an opening line to this movie. Yeah. Um, cause it, it just feels, I don't know. It feels like kind of thematically relevant because it's it's sort of you know this this scene is very much about a last plea from Liz, 
<laughs> yeah. You know? So And in some respect, I mean, and then it's 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 a film about the end of the world. Right. Right. So yeah, I just I really like that. I think that's cool. Um and uh yeah, I mean I think that that about does it for minute one. What do you think? I think it was a good first go at it. Yeah, I Palo think so. Line. <laughs> um all right. Well, uh we will be back um tomorrow uh for minute two. Um, want to give a, a special thanks to our uh, Patreon associate producer, Ed Foster, um, who, yes. you know, makes all this uh, very, very much possible. Uh, so thanks so much, Ed. And uh, if you want to be a part of the discussion with us um, talking about Cornetto, if you want to talk about any of the things we brought up today, uh, you know, let us know what your favorite opening shots of a movie are. Um Go if you're on Facebook, join the Cornetto Minute Listeners Pub, which is uh, our sort of uh, group over there. It's a closed group. You can you can search it and find it, and then all you have to do is ask for membership. And as long as you don't look like you're uh, like you're a spam account, uh, we'll let you in into the club, into the pub, and uh, we can all hang out and talk about uh, Shaun of the Dead. So do the thing if you're on Facebook, the Cornetto Minute Listeners Pub. There'll be a link to the group in the uh, show notes to this and uh, we'll be back. I'm excited. We got some really cool stuff uh, happening. Ha- some really cool stuff happened on that, on the last show's Facebook group. So I'm, I'm optimistic. Yeah. And th- there's already been some really great stuff uh, during the spaced era of Cornetto minute. Um, Boom. There was lots of good stuff in there. Uh, mostly, uh, mostly, mostly things about like British candy and British food because of our Jaffa cakes uh, <laughs> conversations. Um, Still never had them. Yeah, I looked. I looked the other day too. I was at a store and I was like, I bet this seems like a store that I have Jaffa cakes, but no, no such luck. Oh, no man. such luck for this old boy. <laughs> I'll have to buy some and just send them to you. Um, oh my god! Yeah, well, I have a new address. <laughs> That's true. Um, don't don't say it. We're still recording. <laughs> um, you're just gonna have people showing up to your house. Um, <laughs> but uh, all right, I think that uh, that wraps us up here. So we'll be back tomorrow with minute two. Uh, In the meantime, let's have a nice cold pint and wait for all this to blow over. Bye.